0: Well, good morning. It's a great uh, pleasure and privilege to be here once again and see so many old friends' faces, but also to see so many new faces that uh, many of you were not here uh, five or six or seven, or how many years ago was it that I, I was coming up regularly as an interim moderator? 2015, I was in Japan. must have been before 2013. Yeah, yeah, okay, 10, 11 years ago. Well, the Lord bless you all, and uh, I can see that he is doing that. Well, let's uh, give attention to the reading of God's Word this morning. I have chosen a text from the opening words of Mark's Gospel, and I'm reading uh, God's Word, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judah, uh, Judah, of Judea, and all Jerusalem, were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying. And when he came up out of the water immediately, he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. Here ends the reading of God's holy word, and I'd like to uh, just uh, pray and and, uh, ask God's guidance and blessing on our consideration of this. Heavenly Father, we do look to you for your Spirit's work in our lives, in our hearts, opening our minds and giving us an understanding that we lack in ourselves. So, Lord, we turn to you and we pray for an outpouring of your grace and wisdom and blessing. And we pray that you would build up your people, build up each one of us in our faith and our love of you. And of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you in his name. Amen. I have a question for you before I begin jumping into the text, and that is, how many of you have had the opportunity to live, uh, spend much time uh, in a foreign culture, a different culture than the one we live in here and we're familiar with in America? How many of you? I see a lot of hands. Okay. A lot of hands. Well, you may be able to understand something of what I experienced when I served in Japan. Uh, I was there roughly from 1981 to 94, and again, uh, I had an opportunity to go back as uh, a pastor called to serve a Japanese congregation in 2013, and I served for another five years um, until we returned to the U.S. But that, in many ways, I consider the greatest Blessing and privilege of my life. The opportunity to preach the gospel to the Japanese people. Now, why was it so special? Well, it's because the Japanese do not know the gospel. And they know that they do not know the gospel. It's all foreign, it's all new. But here in the USA, as in most Western countries, people think. They know the Christian gospel, but they really don't. They think they know it, but they, they really have never, many of them have never really heard it and thought about it. In my experience, most Japanese, at least, are curious and they want to know more about this Christian gospel that has played such a large role in shaping the Western culture. And that at least is a starting point for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The Gospel has changed so many things in the world over thousands of years. And when it is believed, it is still changing things. On a societal level, the Christian Gospel provided the values and the motivation for many of the things we take for granted today. Uh, Before the spread of the gospel, there were no hospitals and no educational opportunities except for the very rich. You live in a place where hospitals, excellent, world-renowned hospitals and care are available Uh, Immense universities are accessible and these did not exist before the spread of the gospel. Uh, There were no orphanages, there were no churches or schools or homes for the elderly, there were no compassionate labor laws, none of these things existed. The gospel changed the culture because it changed people. And uh, really, none of you and none of your neighbors is, is like the Japanese who have never heard about this gospel before. All of us have some idea of what the gospel is. But we live in an age of scams and counterfeits and disinformation. Think of all the counterfeit gospels you have heard. There's the gospel of self-help, the prosperity gospel of health and wealth. There's the old gospel of humanism that reappears in a slightly different form in every generation. And currently it declares that you can be happy or fulfilled only when you become whatever you want to be. Because each one is the master of her own destiny and identity. And this is the gospel of humanism. It's a false gospel. There have been countless religions and sects and cults, each one representing a tantalizing distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many people have heard a counterfeit gospel thinking that it was the Christian gospel and rejected it. There are others who have uh, been going to church for many years. And yet they have an idea of the gospel that is different from the gospel we find preached by Jesus. As we look at the opening of Mark's gospel... I want to think about the good news that Jesus preached. And it may surprise some of you, as it really surprised me when I began to look into it. And specifically, I want to consider these three things. I want to consider, first, what was the scope of the gospel that Jesus preached? What was the scope? What did it include? Secondly, What is so good about this gospel? This good news? What is so good about it? And for whom is it good? Third, how did Jesus preach the gospel? How did He preach it? Whether you are a mature believer, or whether you're just a beginner, I hope that when you hear the Bible's good news, you will find it just as good, just as encouraging, And just as edifying uh, as the first time you heard it and believed. And if you are not yet a believer, if you are not yet a real Christian, I hope you will hear this good news today. And I hope you will realize that this good news is for you. If you do, it will change your life for good. Now I want to consider first the scope of Christ's gospel, the scope. Mark's first words are important. Uh, Right at the beginning uh, in verse 1, he says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His gospel begins with the coming of Jesus Christ. Gospel translates the Greek word, Evangelion, which means the good message. The good news of Jesus focuses on a person, the person of Jesus, who is both the Christ and Son of God. One might even say that Jesus is the good news. He himself is the good news. Mark's uh, gospel is the good news of Jesus, the incarnate Word of God. John says in the opening of his gospel uh, that God sent into the world his word which became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God. So he himself is the message that God has sent into the world. He also says that his account is just the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark himself only gives us an appetizer to the banquet that God has in store for us in Christ. And that good news unfolds further in the book of Acts and then in the New Testament letters of Paul and the other apostles, the exhortation to the Hebrews, the the, uh, revelation to the apostle John. All of it is a development and an unfolding of the good news that God has sent into the world. The historical record of the spread of the gospel continues to unfold right up to the present and even to the last great day of the Lord. That is all included in God's good news. What the Lord Jesus has done and what he continues to do in the world today. But does God's good news all begin with the arrival of Jesus, as Mark seems to imply? Well, some Christians would say, yes, it's all about Jesus, and that is true. And then they conclude that the gospel is not revealed until the coming of Jesus into the world. But the scope of God's gospel is bigger than that. Look for a moment at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 verse 2. The writer of Hebrews has been talking about Israel in the days of Moses. Now he says, for good news, the word there in Greek is gospel, the good news came to us that is to people living in the New Testament era, just as to them, that is to Israel in the Old Testament. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not yet united by faith with those who listened. In other words, the gospel was preached to Israel long before the coming of Jesus, long before the beginning of the New Testament. And here's the point I'm getting at. Sometimes we tend to define God's good news narrowly. As, let uh, me use a big word here, soteriology. You know, the doctrine of our salvation. And uh, the Apostle Paul sometimes sounds like the atonement. Christ dying in our place on a cross to secure our salvation, that this defines the Gospel. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the Gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he seems to be saying that The gospel that he preaches is the cross of Christ. That is the atoning death of Christ for our salvation. Paul preached Christ crucified. And we find this message revealed not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. Isaiah prophesied. And he said... Uh, you know, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's Isaiah, 700 years earlier. And the sacrificial worship system, the temple, the priesthood, and all of that was intended to be a picture or a type of, of man's reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. The cross represents the ultimate work of Christ where He secured our salvation. And we can never diminish its importance. But what I want to say this morning is that the the gospel is more than that. And before you think that I am a heretic, I want you to think with me about uh, what Jesus preached. The gospel is more than the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. If that were not so. Then Jesus. Could not have preached the gospel. During the earlier part of his ministry. If you remember how the ministry of Jesus unfolds. He comes preaching the gospel of God and doing lots of works of mercy and and healing and casting out of demons and showing the power of God. But he says not not a word that's recorded for us in the Scriptures about His coming death on the cross, His resurrection, And all that our salvation depends on. He doesn't say anything about that until later, toward the end, or at least the middle of his ministry. And only after Peter and the apostles have come to the point of recognizing who Jesus is. And he says, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter volunteers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And only then, only then when they understand who they're dealing with, does He begin to open up their minds to His coming suffering and death on the cross, His resurrection, and His eternal sovereign reign. So there was a time when Jesus preached the gospel that did not include... Word of the cross. Alright? So, uh, Jesus came into Galilee preaching this gospel of God. And he did it before he had even called any of his disciples. And he asked people to believe in the gospel. Verse 15. He said, Believe in the gospel but he had not even said a word to anyone about his suffering and death. I don't believe he would have asked anyone to believe in a gospel they had never heard. It seems clear that the gospel Jesus preached was not simply his atoning death on the cross. And again, I don't want to minimize that. And we today have... All of that truth to proclaim and to recognize, acknowledge. But what is the true scope of the gospel? The good news includes the cross, but there is more. It includes the resurrection, it includes his victory over sin and death and the devil, it includes his reign over His kingdom as mediator until all His enemies are placed beneath His feet. The Gospel also includes the work of His Holy Spirit, bringing new life, bringing healing and restoration to countless individuals who begin to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The Gospel is, as, as John Murray, uh, the great theologian of Westminster Seminary, once said, The gospel is redemption accomplished and applied. It is only when all of these things happen that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Romans 8.21 That is the goal of the gospel. That is where we are headed. Their creation itself will be set free, and all will exist to the glory of God. You know, the the uh, framers of the Westminster Standards weren't uh, uh, they were they were wise, and when they began their shorter catechism, they didn't say the chief end of man is to be saved and to live in heaven. Forever. They said the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's the glory of God that is the goal of the gospel. Uh, As uh, C.S. Lewis once put it in his uh, children's stories, this The good news is that really God is going to come. He ascribed this to the character of Aslan, but he said the glory of God, uh, or God is going to come and set all things right. Set all things right again. And that is why the incarnate word of God, Jesus, the Christ, God's son, came into our world and did what he did. This is the scope of the good news that Mark indicates in verse 1. What he records here is just the beginning. The second point I want to think about this morning is Mark's use of the word gospel, which, as you know, means good news. The news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is very good news. When we hear that something is good, we understand that that claim rests on a value judgment what is good and why there are some things about which most people agree but as you know there are many upon which there is no agreement at all just think of our culture wars think of the polarized opinions about politics about abortion rights about gay pride gender identity and the list goes on and on All of these huge areas of disagreement. And most of us, most of us agree on some things. Most people seem to think that murder is wrong. Murder is wrong, right? But what about institutionalized killing? What about the death penalty? What about war? Most people seem to want a quick end to the war in the Ukraine. That would be good, right? It would be good if the war in the Ukraine would be wrapped up and all of the, the bloodshed ended. But not everybody believes that. Not everybody believes that that would be a good thing. Maybe some people, whether corporations or nations, are profiting from the war. war. And at some point it becomes necessary to make a moral judgment, a value judgment. Which is good or right? To make peace? Or to make a profit? You have to decide. Mark, like Jesus, looks to God himself for an understanding of what is good. You'll remember that a rich young man once ran up to Jesus and said, uh, called him good teacher. Good teacher. And Jesus challenged him. And Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. When you call me good teacher, what exactly do you mean? Then Jesus lists several of the Ten Commandments to demonstrate that God's Word is our only reliable means of discovering what is morally good. God reveals that. When it comes to the Gospel, the plan for Jesus, a good and righteous man, to die as a criminal by the hands of of, uh, wicked men, that plan does not, on the face of it, seem like a very... Good idea. Just on the face of it, it sounds a lot like capitulation to evil. It looks like Jesus is a victim. Only from the Word of God do we learn that Jesus had the power at every moment to overthrow His tormentors, to relieve His pain. But He chose The cross. He chose to die for his sins of His people. He chose to give His life for ours. And only by reading and understanding the Bible do we learn that. We learn that Jesus' death on the cross was His voluntary act of supreme love. Love for God His Father and love for us. It was God Himself who revealed this to the Apostle Paul, who wrote in Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If this is true, and the Bible declares that it is, then Jesus' death on the cross is not simply a horrible cruelty perpetrated by wicked men. It's not a tragic accident. It's the revelation of God's boundless love. And it is very, very good. But we don't know that apart from the Word of God. As we've seen, the cross of Jesus is only one part of the the big picture of God's purpose. There's also the resurrection, there's the ascension, the session of Jesus at God's right hand, there's the fact of Christ's absolute sovereign authority by which he's ruling over heaven and earth for the good of his church. This is really good news. But we only discover this good news in the pages of the Bible. We don't discover it in science, or in psychology, or in any other religious book or tradition. So this brings us to the third point. This good news has to be proclaimed. It has to be spread. People need to hear it. Proclaiming the gospel just as we find it in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament is an absolute necessity. And the church, we are given the privilege and the responsibility of carrying out that work. Now, looking around us today, we see the kind of the the last sputterings of a worldwide pandemic. And we see evidence of global warming, oppression and persecution, especially of Christians worldwide, that terrible war of aggression in Ukraine. In the USA, we have senseless mass shootings, demands for a woman's right to destroy the life of her unborn child, and other evils too many to mention It's frankly depressing to read the news. Where do we find any hope? Where does anyone look for hope? There's so much rebellion against God. So much evil, indecency, cruelty, moral corruption that is embedded in our culture. Sin is embedded... In our nature? How can such wickedness be opposed? How can the brokenness be fixed? And the answer the Bible gives is that it must come about through the spread of the gospel. And this is the third thing we have to understand about the gospel it's given to be proclaimed. You may remember Hebrews 4, verse 12 where the Word says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word can change us from the inside. It can give us a new way of seeing things. It can give us a new way of life. Peter says, and this word is the gospel that was preached to you. This is the way God has designed to accomplish his purpose for the world. Evil will not be undone by force of arms or bribery by wealth or by better education or by voting out the current politicians. It will only happen when people are persuaded that the good news of Jesus is really good for them. Jesus has accomplished the work necessary to redeem His people and to establish His kingdom on earth. He's done that hard work. Objectively, the necessary work was finished on the cross. But the subjective work of applying the gospel to the hearts and minds of people all over the world continues. The work of preaching the gospel, of reclaiming lost souls, of building Christ's church, of transforming man's broken culture. This work is what God is going to do, but it's not finished yet. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that not even the gates of hell shall prevail against a church that uses the power of Christ's gospel. The gospel will overcome those who oppose God's kingdom. It will do so as the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God, to awaken dull consciences, to pierce hearts, to persuade minds that this gospel is really good. And each one of us, each one of us must taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we do that, when we taste the loving kindness of the Lord, then we will believe that this is a message of amazing good news. It's a good news of a great joy for all the people. And if we taste and see the goodness of the Lord, you know what? Our lives are going to change. People are going to see in us, before, even before we open our mouths, they're going to see in us the fruits of God's Spirit at work the good fruit of the Holy Spirit in God's people. And that's the first point of contact, really, isn't it? With anybody around us. Just as Jesus showed His person and His character and His quality and His love and His generosity and His mercy and His grace and His power, He showed all that to people in preaching the Gospel of God before He spoke of the cross and His substitutionary atonement. The person of Christ precedes the preaching of the work of Christ in a way. And people are going to see your person and mine before they hear a word out of your mouth. But that is the way we begin. That is the way Jesus began to preach the gospel of God. If you are a Christian, there was a time when you heard this good news about the coming of God's Son into the world and you believed it. There was a time when you did and you believed it and you realized that the good news of a great joy announced by the angels at Jesus' birth really is good news for you. It's good news because it brings you hope for a new life. Jesus, the Son of God, has done that hard part, the heavy lifting of dying on the cross, the work of redemption. And all that remains is to carry His good news to those who will hear it and believe. This is great news. This is news that will drive away the shadows Overcome the fears, the anxieties, the sufferings, even the shadow of death. This good news is kind of like falling in love. It makes everything bright and beautiful again. But who will bring this good news? How can it be done? Once again, Jesus shows us the way. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Remember that when Jesus began to proclaim the gospel or good news of God, He said nothing about a cross or subsidiary atonement or resurrection. Eventually He would do that, but only to His closest disciples. Only after they had been sufficiently prepared. And then, if that is so, What was the good news that Jesus preached? Look for a moment at Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark tells us that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. The the gospel Jesus preached is not the product of human philosophy or wisdom, first of all. It is the gospel of God. And sadly, there are preachers who are not always content to preach the gospel of God. They feel a need to add something to God's word. But as soon as men begin begin to tamper with it, to, to tweak it here and there, to try to accommodate God's good news to what they think their audience wants to hear or needs to hear, then it ceases to be God's good news. It becomes something else. Christians are not immune to this temptation. The temptation to squeeze their message into the constraints of their theologies or their particular worldview. This is true regardless of your theology whether it's Roman Catholic or Pentecostal or Baptist or even Reformed. But we have to take care. It's, It's not man's philosophy or man's religious opinions that the world needs to hear. What man needs so desperately to hear and believe is the pure, unchanged Word of God. Gospel preaching depends upon Sound exegesis and exposition of His Word the Scriptures we don't need to cram every shred of our theology into the preaching you know what we don't even need to force the Word of the Cross into every single sermon for it to be the Gospel there are some who feel that if they don't do that then it's not the gospel. Well, Jesus preached the gospel. So, uh, when, when Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God, He said nothing about His suffering and death or about His resurrection. But He did proclaim the good news of God. So, Jesus knew God's good news, and he knew how to preach it persuasively. He preached the gospel in such a way that many in his audience, from the youngest to the oldest, could say, Wow, that sounds like good news. I want to hear more. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full convictions. And he adds, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. When the preacher and his hearers are led by the Spirit of God, this is the result. Jesus preached the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, and those chosen by God received it with joy. And this is the good news that Jesus proclaimed. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus says this is good news because, first of all, the long wait for God to keep his promises is over. The time of fulfillment has come at last. But but what promise is God now keeping that brings us joy? What is that fulfilled promise? He made a promise to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that they and their offspring would cling to, Cling to that promise long after Adam and Eve had left the shelter of the garden. God promised that a certain seed of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. Delivering a death blow to the reign of evil in the world. The years passed. The centuries piled up. Civilizations rose and fell as those who believed in God and trusted his promise waited for its fulfillment. Finally, Jesus came and he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. God kept that ancient promise. The tyranny of evil by which the devil has made us his slaves to do his will to our own sorrow and our own misery That tyranny is over. His kingdom is done for because the kingdom of God has come to our fallen world. Now how does a kingdom come? Maybe think of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We usually think of a kingdom as a sphere of influence wielded by a ruler or a king. We may think of Russia's President Putin redrawing the territorial boundaries uh, by invading a neighboring country. That is growth by military conquest. Then there's the growth of a nation's influence through political alliances or economic influence. But when Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God's kingdom in Galilee, he didn't do any of those things. Instead, he set about winning the hearts of the people, winning the hearts of the people. He proclaimed a new kind of freedom, freedom from the tyranny of sin, freedom from the fear of death, freedom to serve God in peace and in joy. Is this kind of kingdom something we can be happy about? In God's kingdom, you know, God reigns, God judges, God's word is the only rule of law. And if anyone has doubts about God's goodness, he would not be comfortable in such a kingdom. But if you are sick and tired of the corruption of this world, and the corruption in your own heart. Then the news of a viable alternative, the offer of not only temporary refugee status, but permanent citizenship in God's kingdom, that becomes really attractive. Imagine a place where greatness is measured by selfless giving and serving, rather than by controlling, rather than by flaunting authority and seeking rewards. Imagine a kingdom ruled by a monarch who is absolutely powerful, thoroughly informed and aware of the condition of every subject, and whose single aim is to protect, provide for, and bless these Subjects. That gives only a dim impression of the goodness of God's kingdom. This kingdom, Jesus said, is at hand. And you don't need to cross the Jordan River or the Rio Grande to enter it. All you must do, Jesus said, is repent and believe in the gospel. Repent is an unusual word. Americans don't usually know what to do with it. Repent. What is repent? Most seem to think it means regret. It means to feel bad about the bad things we've done. But we Americans tend to reduce many, many things to feelings. How we feel about this or that. The Hebrew word, however, really means to take action. The Hebrew word translated repent means to turn and go back. In Greek, which uh, the language often seems to focus on thinking, the word used for repent means to change the mind. To change the mind. And in the context, Jesus uses the word here, talking about the kingdom of God, repent. Repent. Means to turn back to God by renouncing your old loyalties. Those loyalties to self, to sin, to Satan. And it means pledging a new allegiance, pledging allegiance to God and His kingdom. You can't keep two citizenships, you can't keep two passports to alliances or loyalties. True repentance means renouncing the old so that you can take up a new commitment to God and His kingdom. And then you must also believe in the gospel. Repent and believe go together. The little word in, believe in the gospel, is important. It means you must place yourself in the care and under the protection of this new kingdom and its king. And you are now under God's authority as a citizen of his kingdom. We're reading about that in Philippians. A lot about the nature of citizenship in the kingdom of God. And if you are under God's authority and under his protection as a citizen of his kingdom then heaven help anyone who would do you harm you have a protector the God of heaven and earth watches over you as the psalmist said the Lord is on my side I will not fear what can man do to me the Lord is on my side as my helper I shall look in triumph on those who hate me it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Psalm 118. Does that sound like good news? Does that sound like news the world needs to hear? This is the gospel that Jesus preached. We may know more, and we do. We know all about the cross, and the resurrection, and the ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and Christ's sovereign reign over all the ends of the earth. We know that too. And we will preach it. But we dare not preach less than the gospel of Jesus Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you most of all for your goodness. We thank you for your sovereign power over all the world, over all of history. We thank you that you have kept your promise and sent to us a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ, your incarnate, Word, your incarnate gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with the flavor of Christ, his goodness, and help us live in a way that will show that goodness and truth to all the folks around us. So, Lord, use us, we pray. Bless us that we might fulfill our calling to glorify you and enjoy you forever. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.